Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And since we're talking about the crazy cat lady stereotype, I have a little story to share. I don't think that I've shared on the podcast before, but Caroline, stop me if this sounds familiar. Okay. I really hope I haven't shared this before because, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little story about my well-meaning nephews who are 10. They're twins, twin boys. And it got back to me that they were a little concerned about me because their, <laughs> their aunt Kristen is unmarried and I hadn't brought a fella to any kind of holiday dinners or other family events in a long time. And they were talking to my sister, their mom about it. And they like out of the blue just came up to her and were like, mom, um, we're worried about Aunt Kristen. We understand that she lives with a cat. <laughs> she is single. Like, they essentially told my sister they were worried I was going to become a cat lady. And where did they get this idea from? I asked them about it. I confronted them. I said, boys, I hear that you are worried about my dating status. First of all, thank you for your concern. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um Secondly, why? What gives you the impression that I'm going to become a crazy cat lady and die alone except with cats? And they they said, well, duh, TV. They got it from TV. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> what TV they were watching. Maybe they were watching that Sex in the City episode where Miranda like flashes forward and is worried, like sees herself dead on the kitchen floor being eaten by her cats. I hope that's not... <laughs> What my 10 year old nephews were <laughs> watching. Um, but it was hilarious because they were so young and yet already had grasped onto this stereotype. Maybe, this maybe they watched The Simpsons with the crazy cat lady. I don't cats know. hanging off of her. I mean, you don't seem actually crazy though. And I've never seen cats literally hanging off of your bathrobe. So it's happened. <laughs> I mean, when you walk through a, a patch of cats in the woods and they just accidentally cling onto you like those brambles. Yeah, currently, I I don't own any cats. I've owned cats in the past. I love cats. I would say I'm more of a cat person than a dog person. But at times, now living by myself um, and though cat-free, I still feel like a crazy cat woman sometimes because there's a neighbor cat <laughs> that comes over to that will visit me when I'm sitting outside on my little terrace, and I have a fake name for it that I think its owner has probably heard. Um, and <laughs> Why is she t- talking to my cat that way? Yeah, like, my cat is not named Sir Lancelot. <laughs> Sorry, it looks like a Lancelot. Um, and I have to catch myself because I will greet greet this <laughs> fictionally named cat and and also introduce it to friends as though it were my own. I, yeah, I thought it was yours. Yeah. Well, I, well, I thought it was a stray cat, honestly, and that you were just like calling it things, and maybe you were a little loopy. No, nope. I guess it's better that it's a neighbor's cat and not just a stray that is your spirit animal or something. Yeah, Lancelot's a little scruffy, but uh, anyway, anyway, enough about me. How about 
how about historically why this association with women and cats even exists because it has been around for so so long yeah i think it's it's it always has like people have always somehow associated women and cats and going way back to egypt let's let's take a trip down up the nile down the nile in the Nile. Okay, so in Egypt, they had Isis. She was a, uh, a cat goddess. They also had uh, Bastet, or Bastet, feline cat goddess who became a house cat and protector of women, children, and domestic cats. She was also a goddess of family, fertility, and birth. And she was depicted with a cat head and a woman's body. You know what I'm thinking, though, now, too? No cats in the Bible that I remember. Are there cats in the Bible? I don't know, but uh, early Christians... Weren't a big fan. No, not at all. No. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. So maybe like there was a verse in Genesis, like right after Eve was created. Then cat memes. Yeah. Then cat, <laughs> then a lol cat <laughs> showed I up. can has cheeseburger Jesus. Um, yeah, the historically cats were ratters or mouses inside the home. And of course, women traditionally were working inside of the home. So there, you know, there's a connection with that, the domesticity and the cats hanging around. Uh, whereas the dogs were given tasks outside with the men, like doing the hunting or guarding the home or the property. Yeah, and this line was drawn by animal expert Andrea Arden in Forbes. And she also pointed out that, look, cats know where the food is and they hang out around the women because those are the people who are traditionally feeding and caring for everybody in the household. But then things got so twisted so quickly. And yes, a lot of it is related to... Christianity. For instance, Cleus Simon, who is the author of The Feline Mystique. How about that for a punny title? I see what she did there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she writes, there is a lot of linkage, even in early Christianity, that women and cats were actually celebrated. But by the 6th century, cats were seen as a manifestation of women's sinful sexual lives. Which is ironic because now crazy cat ladies are the epitome of spinsterhood. Right, exactly. Well, (laughs) back in 1233, it was a bad year for women and cats in general because Pope Gregory IX called for the death of all cats and their female owners in an attempt to rid Christendom of witchcraft. So there's that first connection between women and witches. But there had previously been this connection that people drew between black cats and the devil, you know, uh, and black cats being witches, familiars and spirit animals and stuff like that. Uh, Donald Ingalls in his book, Classical Cats, The Rise and Fall of the Sacred Cat, said that the Pope's Vox in Rama was the first official church document that actually condemns the black cat as an incarnation of Satan. And from here on out until about the early 19th century, black cats were just killed. They were just slaughtered. I had a black cat mm. growing up. His name was Smudge. Are you sure it wasn't the ferret? You sure it was a cat? It was the cat. <laughs> and he was fantastic. And I used to, uh, after breakfast, I would go out to see him and sometimes take him treats of pancakes. Smudge loved pancakes. That cat Aww. would eat anything. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, speaking of popes, popes, popes hated cats. Yeah, Catholics, none too, none too big a fan. Maybe, maybe there was a, a cat allergy in Christendom, uh, <laughs> that was causing all of this ill will. Because Pope Innocent VIII also officially excommunicated all cats and decreed that any found in possession of quote unquote witches 
should be burned along with them. So if you were a Catholic cat, you were just out of luck. You could not go to communion. Um, this continues through the Middle Ages when, like I said, black cats were thought to be witches' familiars or actually witches in disguise. And what's interesting is around this time there was this male demon, uh, correct me if I pronounce this wrong, Baphomet? Baphomet. Baphomet, who encompasses actually many of Bastet's characteristics, that Egyptian cat goddess, and was sometimes portray- portrayed with female breasts reminiscent of the Egyptian statuettes. Of Bastet. So this little cultural thing, like, you know, worms its way through all the way up to the Middle Ages. And people are like, well, you know, cats are just evil, particularly if they're black. And let's just give them boobs. And that makes them more evil. Yeah. And they're evil in their relationship specifically with women. It's a strange uh, it's it's like there's a discomfort in a way with how close women and cats may tend to get. And it's a question that we are still asking today. Like, why do women love cats so gosh darn much? <laughs> uh, for instance, there was an article published in Forbes recently. Uh, I was talking about how it's all about the cat's personality. Mm-hmm. You know, cats can seem independent and aloof and getting their approval is not so easy. So maybe for women, we like cats so much because it's just like, a guy, you know, dating a guy. Well, he's so aloof and playing hard to get. Is my cat going to call me later? So Should we, I text my cat? Yeah, so we, like, put out food, pet the cat. I don't know, but a lot of people draw lines between women being all cold and aloof and playing hard to get and cats being that way, whereas dogs are more, like, affable. Yay. Well, anyway, so they're asking in the Forbes article, why are women supposedly okay with less obvious displays of affection from cats as opposed to dogs? And uh, Pia Salk, who's a psychologist and animal welfare advocate, said that it may be that women are more intrinsically gratified by nurturing others and therefore do not need an external reflection to reinforce caretaking behavior. And my eyebrow is raised. Ooh. I mean... I uh, enjoyed Smudge so much, you know, because he he would thank me for the pancakes in the form of, you know, he would do little tricks. He'd stand up on his hind legs. I'm sharing too much. Really? About, like, no, I, I have no cats. St- well, I, I don't have any good cat stories, really. Well, this was going on during the homeschool years. Mm-hmm. So maybe P.E. sometimes was cat training time with Smudge. Um, I also find this correlation between supposedly like cat-like behavior mm-hmm. of aloofness and independent uh, independence uh, compared to how women supposedly are. And I'm going to put out a, a wackadoo theory that all of this concern over cats and women is really a reflection of an internalized fear that women don't actually "Quote unquote need men." <gasps> I sh- I can now like probably write a book. Tell me more. Is there more? Tell me more. Um. Well, I will tell you what's going on in my head right now, which is uh, the dating advice book that I'm about to write, based on how women should just act like cats to hmm. get men. Yeah. Okay. Call, call me up, book publisher. Do I have to wear a tail? <laughs> no, please don't. Okay. So it's beyond just the idea that cats are aloof, women play hard to get, women are cats, cats are women, it's weird. There's also these feline images of women in pop culture. And this is coming from a San Francisco Gate article that talks about characters like Catwoman and Josie from Josie and the Pussycats who were sexy, 
kittenish, wild, and independent. And uh, that author, Clea Simon, that we uh, Kristen mentioned earlier, said that that just rubs men the wrong way. And she says, think of the negative words that can be used for women, catty or sex kitten. And when people describe cats' negative traits, they call them aloof, demanding, promiscuous. The same thing people find threatening about women, exclamation point. Yeah, I mean, I the, the fact that women of uh, all you know phases of their life can be described in cat terms and are described in cat terms. Yeah, uh, that's so. It's very odd. Everything from kitten to cougar. Mm-hmm. Now there is some valid research to back this up. Not just my mindless ramblings about uh, how someone could probably make money drawing. Uh, connections between cats and dating in the human world. There was a study published in the journal Behavioral Processes in 2011 that found that cats attached to people, particularly women, but not just for food. Uh, They looked at uh, observational interactions between cats and their human owners and found that the dynamics in human-cat relationships are similar to those in human bonds. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, John Day, who's a co-author of that study, said that the way cats and humans interact with each other when it comes to food is similar to the interactions between caregivers and infants. And he says that both cat and human infant are, at least in part, in control of when and what they are fed. Because I've been around moody cats, you know, I've been around moody babies, and they can let you know when they are hungry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they chalk it up to, uh, cats having a, a different type of relationship to, to people than dogs do. Yeah, and especially there, there is the gender difference, and this has come up in multiple studies where there does seem to be a stronger connection of sorts between cats and women. Although I have met many cat guys. Like, yeah. guys who love cats to a degree I've never seen in a woman. Yeah. Well, my friend Claire, uh, she and her husband adopted their neighbor's cat. And for the longest time, the cat would not go to her. For the first year that they adopted it, it would avoid her like the plague and only go to her husband and be all over her husband but mm-hmm. not have anything to do with her. And she thinks eventually the cat, you know, the cat has warmed up to her. She thinks that maybe the the lady who owned the cat before was mean to it. So That's maybe cats just learn an aversion to, to meanies, whatever the gender <laughs> And speaking of women, another finding from this behavioral processes study was that extroverted women with young, active cats had the strongest relationship. Right. All the cat had to do was like flick his tail and be like, I want attention. And the woman would get it. She'd be like, yeah, let's, let's play cat. But there's that whole, that whole attention giving thing where cats remember kindness and return the favors, the study says. Uh, if owners comply with the cat's wishes to interact, the cat will often comply with the owner's wishes at other times. So your cat has an elephant's memory when it comes to playing and being nice. Mm-hmm. And maybe since, uh, since the female owners, uh, at least according to these studies, this is nothing against any guys who love cats out there. I know you're out there. You care for cats better than I do, I'm sure. Um, that cats will, will approach the female owners more frequently, maybe because we are more attuned to those nurturing behaviors, <laughs> as I'm sure some, some, uh, psychologists would, would say, to which we would both probably raise our eyebrows. Our eyebrows again. are raised. But getting back to the crazy old cat lady stereotype, because 
that uh, suggestion that extroverted women with young active cats have the best relationships, that's still kind of going against this idea that only cuckoo older females are uh, crazy for cats. Yeah, well, Forbes talks about some some kind of common sense stuff, if you think about it. Um, they point out that women live longer than men, so there are more elderly women than elderly men at a given time. These elderly women, maybe they get lonely, and they may take in hungry straight Stray cats who might reproduce quickly. Then they point out, hey, you know, cats are more self-sufficient than dogs, so they are easier for older women to care for. So maybe this relationship develops. Like if a, if a woman uh, loses her husband and she's alone and, you know, maybe, maybe she doesn't have the best mobility. Yeah. The cats are more independent. You know, you can just leave food out or whatever and that you don't have to walk them typically. Typically. And on a very downer note, uh, some suggest that the, this kind of elder cat behavior could be a sign of dementia. You know, the women are, older women are by themselves by this point and they're just caring for more and more cats and they don't know that they have too many cats on their hands. And this also gets us into pet hoarding. Um, and animal hoarding is statistically more frequent in older, isolated, socioeconomically disadvantaged women. Right. And they point out that, like we said, women might be drawn to stray cats because they're smaller and easier to round up. Uh, there, there was a, uh, an article, I guess it was on the Today Show website about some women who, it kind of ranged everywhere from just a young woman who had a cat and she got teased for being a cat lady by our friends and family, all the way up to a woman who had started out as a cat rescuer, like, let me help these stray cats. And it turned into a really bad, unhealthy situation in her house. Yeah, there's a whole documentary uh, made in 2009 called Cat Ladies that follows a range of women who have lots of cats. Um, and we we did an episode on hoarders and hoarding behavior way back when. Um, and I, I saw since then, I've seen an episode of hoarders that was dealing with a, a cat hoarder. And it was, um, it was, I could, you could almost smell the ammonia, you know, from the, from the excessive litter boxes. Yeah. Well, screen. so we've got this idea of crazy cat ladies, regardless of age. And when you talk about hoarders, these people often have major dysfunction in work, social and daily activities. So maybe these people do just seem unstable, but the thing that they're hoarding instead of, I don't know what you hoard, but instead of whatever it is, it's animals. Yeah. 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 But also, but still that doesn't, that doesn't answer our question about like why the stereotype of crazy cat lady is so pervasive because cat hoarders are a small population. I really think it ties into witches, all the witchcraft stuff. The early Christianity, like you're a witch, you have a familiar, you know, you have this animal that's black and evil and associated with the devil. So, yeah, I think it goes back to the idea of witches. And all the felinophobic, made that word up, felinophobic popes. Yeah. Nothing against Catholic listeners out there, but really popes. Cut a cat a break. Um, uh, but there has been some more scientific research possibly suggesting that there could be a parasitic link going on between cat craziness behavior, uh, male or female, really, and um, and this parasite. Yeah, not to alarm you, but cats are taking over the world. Yeah, 
very slowly. Um, so evolutionary biologist, oh gosh, Jaroslav Flegger. We're going to go with Jaroslav Flegger. So this biologist has been pursuing the connection between a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii, or T. gondii, and mood and personality changes in people. And he had done all this research and reading, and he was like, you know what? It's kind of strange that I will just willy-nilly cross the street, and situations that scare and stress out other people don't seem to bother me. And you know what? I dress kind of sloppy. He actually tested positive for T. Gandhi. And okay, so we'll explain that. We'll explain that in a minute. But this is a parasite that is excreted by cats in their feces, and it causes toxoplasmosis, which is the reason that pregnant women are told to avoid cats' litter boxes, because if they're infected, it can result in severe brain damage or death for the child. So anyway, back to this biologist. He did years and years of studies, which kind of sounds like crazy town, but he's gotten a lot of support from other biologists. Well, yeah, and we should explain um, what the, the life cycle of this parasite because the cats will, and it's kind of a gross life cycle, but let us go for it. And if you're eating a sandwich right now, just put it down for a minute because <laughs> we're about to talk about poop. Because first off, the, the parasite gets pooped out mm-hmm. of the cat. Now, the parasite wants to find another host so that it can get back into... The cat, right? Yeah, so it can so it can, can do re- its whole little life cycle in the cat's stomach. And yeah, and it can re- and it can reproduce. Yeah. So this theory is that the cats poop out this parasite. Humans get in contact with the poop, get the parasite, and then engage because of the parasite wreaking havoc in our brains. Engage in reckless behavior, such as crossing the street willy-nilly without looking to see if cars are coming, so that we will then die, <laughs> and the parasite can get back into the cat, which will come up, you know, a stray cat will wander up and start licking our... Just like in Batman, when, what's her name, falls out of the window, Selena, and all those cats crawl all over. Yeah. And she was probably infected, because she had so many cats, she probably handled the cat litter box, Got the parasite. She probably got T. Gandhi, and then those cats come back, start eating your spilled guts, <laughs> only to get the parasite, poop it out again, and the circle of life continues. Yeah, take that, Elton John. So he found that uh, study subjects, he did a ton of studies uh, just across the board, all different types of people, and he found that study subjects had significantly delayed reaction times. Those who tested positive for the parasite were about two and a half times more likely to get into a car accident. This reminds me of uh, when we were doing the podcast on uh, on luck. We talked about mm-hmm. that one study finding that uh, traffic accidents go up on Friday the 13th. Yeah. So listen, if it's Friday the ter- 13th and you might have this parasite, <laughs> stay home. Take the bus. Well, so he found... That And this, you know, Kristen made the comment earlier about extroverted young women and having young, active cats. That goes against the typical stereotype of a shut-in spinster cat lady. Well, this also does, because infected women tend to be more outgoing, trusting, image-conscious, and rule-abiding, whereas infected men are the opposite. They become more introverted, suspicious, oblivious to others' opinions of them, and inclined to disregard rules. And so you're thinking, well, if they have the parasite, if a man and a woman have a parasite that's the same, why are they acting differently? And he brings up his anxiety theory, which we, Chris and I have talked about stress and anxiety responses in men and women and how women want to go forth 
and be around people when they are stressed and nurture, whereas men withdraw. And so he thinks that this parasite is like bringing out some of our anxiety responses. Huh. Yeah. And not only that, infected men have elevated testosterone, which would make sense for increased risk taking behavior. And women shown photos of these men rated them as more masculine than pictures of uninfected men. Whoa, this parasite is quite powerful. I know. And it's funny because there so there was a New York Times article about it and. The author was, you know, she had flown to Prague to have interviews with this guy. And all throughout this, because you you hear these things and you're like, oh, I'm feeling outgoing and image conscious today. I hope I'm not infected. Well, she she got tested. And, of course, yeah, it turned out negative. Right. So, I mean, you can't blame a parasite for everything. Or can you? Or can you? They also tie it to schizophrenia, which is interesting. Um they say that it could very well trigger schizophrenia in genetically susceptible people because in schizophrenia, dopamine production is ramped up in your brain. And the parasite, actually, coincidentally or not, has two genes that allow it to boost dopamine production in the host brain. So these antipsychotics that uh, schizophrenics take that are designed to quell delusions because of their disease blocks the action of dopamine, but... The scientist, Flegger, thinks that it could actually be blocking the parasite. Now, listen to this when it comes to schizophrenia, okay? And I feel like this is this is when we should be pulling in uh, Matt and Ben from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, because I feel like I'm getting very conspiracy <laughs> theory-esque, because brace yourself. Psychologist E. Fuller Torrey, when talking about the possible connection between schizophrenia and T. Gandhi, points out that schizophrenia didn't rise in prevalence until the latter half of the 18th century when people in Paris and London started keeping cats as pets. Dun dun dun! What has Smudge done to me? Now I'm wondering. I don't know. But you can't get tested. But the thing is, what are you going to do? You can't do anything because uh, these little weird parasite cysts that end up getting all over you, not all over you, that's an exaggeration, but they are, you can't take antibiotics for them. So you're just going to be that way. So you're just, just going to be, be that way. So maybe you should go into uh, evolutionary biology like Yaroslav Flager, who's been studying this and You guys can parasite. start a club. Yes, and wear sloppy outfits. No, no, as a woman, you would be dressed very nicely. Oh. Because he noticed that in all of his studies, when the women who were infected would come in to be tested, they were all dressed, like, to the nines. And men would come in all like, <sighs> So, okay, well, if this parasite could help me dress better. <laughs> I mean, all right. Yeah, who knew? But then again, doesn't that seem to be debunking the crazy cat lady Stereotype, Because so far, even with this parasite, even with the personality connections, all that is all that I'm hearing is that women who own cats, maybe to the extent that uh, we are contracting parasites from them, are well-dressed, social, outgoing gals. Yeah. You know, (laughs) well, yeah, in a literal crazy, I have a parasite cat lady way. Maybe you're better off. Yeah. I mean, if anything, this is an argument to drop what you're doing, head to your nearest animal shelter and pick up a kitten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, kinda, I wish I had a kitten right now. I'm <laughs> right now in the studio. Mm-hmm. I will admit I'm more of a dog person. And this whole thing got me a little scared. 
about parasites. <laughs> Whereas I'm g- totally gung-ho <laughs> for cats now. Okay, well, I really want to hear from our, our cat lady listeners. Do you ever get accused of being a cat lady? Are people very insensitive? How many cats do you have? Yeah, do children, like my nephews, approach you and worry that uh, your cat status and your dating status are not looking too good? Yeah. Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where... You can email us. And before we get into your emails, we have a quick word from today's sponsor bringing you this episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is audible.com. At audible.com, you can choose from thousands of downloadable audiobook titles to listen to on your mobile device or anywhere you would like to uh, learn more. And a title that we think that Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners might appreciate since we are talking about cats. If you want to learn more about cat domestication, we recommend heading over to audible.com and downloading The Taming of the Cat by Scientific American. I believe it's only 23 minutes long, so just a, a quick audio documentary of how cats even got into our homes to begin with. So, Those Egyptians. Ah, uh, Egyptians and Popes. Uh, so audible.com, thank you for uh, sponsoring this episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. Be sure to head over there and check out their vast library of titles. And now back to our letters. And here we have an email from Melissa about our sleepover podcast. She says, I went to a lot of sleepovers slash slumber parties when I was younger, but I'm debating on whether I will let my own children have them. Most of my slumber party experiences, the ones I can still remember, didn't end well. My past sleepover experiences include wetting the bed, getting the stomach flu and throwing up, sleepwalking, and having horrific night terrors that freaked out the parents and children present. I even made a girl cry at one, but that requires a backstory. Okay, here it is. Six girls all agreed that the first one to fall asleep would get their sleeping bag taped to the floor. So when the first girl fell asleep, I dutifully taped her to the floor. This was followed by the girl waking up and crying in a panic, calling her mom and going home. Her mom made me apologize to her, which was really embarrassing. So that does sound... Yeah, you and me, Melissa, you and I, we did not have good slumber party experiences. That's cool. It's all right. You know, just if your child is ready, let them go. Well, speaking of whether or not your child is ready, I've got an email here from Julia about our episode on kids and makeup. And she has uh, a different perspective and starts off, we need a social reform. All anyone talks about is body image or what age is appropriate. Nobody ever thinks about what's in the makeup, who it's tested on, and the damage it does to your physical body. There are animal sources and byproducts in makeup tested on innocent animals, packaged in harmful plastics, and are full of chemicals that cause breakouts and aging. Nobody ever discusses this, and if they do, they simply shrug off the facts and continue to put on their face. There are ethical makeup products, but they're expensive and not as saturated as their harmful counterparts. If six-year-old girls saw some of the rabbits I've seen with fur falling out, bloody skin, and rotten eyeballs, I'm sure they would feel more reluctant about applying that makeup on their own skin. Women don't care because they've already sold their soul to their particular brands and consider makeup, quote, putting on their face. As a teenager in high school, I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror without a few layers of foundation, powder, eyeliner, eyeshadow, and mascara. 
I had a lot of acne problems and self-esteem issues. Now, I rarely wear makeup, and if I do, it's handmade, vegan, and very, very light. My skin has completely cleared up. I find myself beautiful on a daily basis. I'm reducing my harmful impact to the planet and animals, and I'm saving a whole lot of money to boot. All of which are uh, pretty convincing arguments. So thank you, Julia, and thank you to everyone who's written in. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is our email address. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And check out our Tumblr. It's StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. Follow us over there. And last but not least, if you'd like to get smart this week, head over to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 